under page 1170. That's Paul's letter to the Colossians, the end of chapter 3, um, page 1170. Mm. And the, the sermon comes from the last, from the first verse of chapter 4, the last of the passages I'm going to read for us. I'm going to read uh, from verse 15 down to 4 1. Hear the word of God. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another, with all, one another in all wisdom. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or do, deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye services, people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Please offer prayer with me. Father, we live in such extraordinary liberty and wealth and safety. We, we know that by comparison with the things we hear about on the news, other places, other nations. We know that by comparison to things nearby. None of us in this room, I'm confident, have ever met a slave or talked to a master. Pray, Father, that you would use your word, that you would help us to hear, that you enable us, enable us to know our master in heaven, that you would glorify him and put glory among us, that being like him, we would be encouraged that we'd be persuaded of his goodness and generosity and graciousness and that we would live it ourselves. Father, your son is all our hope. Everything wondrous for us is in him. A work that we could imitate. What gives actual life and joy to our hearts. Pray in his name. Amen. Christians listen. 
Christ reigns as Savior in heaven, and your salvation restores wholesome authority on the earth. This is where the life of faith comes from, and this is what the life of faith accomplishes. Christ reigns as Savior in heaven, and your salvation restores wholesome authority on the earth. Colossians 1 makes this point. By his human life and death, Jesus has overcome the power of sin that dominates this world. God's grace rules through God's Son. Colossians chapter 2 makes this point. Faith in Christ delivers you from the shame and futility of being a good enough Christian. By faith in Christ, sinners do actually glorify God. Christ reigns and lifts you up as he is raised from the dead. So your sin is not what your life will be. Chapter 3 exhorts you to trust in Jesus' victory over sin and to live by relying on him, on his accomplishment. You can fight against sin and live wholesomely because you have the power of his resurrection in your life. Faith has him. Faith has this. Christ's resurrection joins you to the body of his church to live together in blessing for each other and to live extending Jesus' victory on the earth. As we just read, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Jesus rules in heaven with victory over sin, and by faith in him, you bring that victory over sin on the earth. You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above, he says in Colossians 3.1, where Christ is, see at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Your master in heaven is the model for how you wield authority, how you use your advantages, what you do with your privileges. Christian here, Christ reigns as Savior in heaven. And your salvation restores wholesome authority on the earth. First century slavery was vastly dissimilar from the slavery created by Europeans in the New World. Perpetual servitude was not the norm. Kidnapping for enslavement was not legally tolerated. Unlike the slavery of the Enlightenment era, the Romans did not assert that slaves were naturally inferiors. Emancipation was quite common. Our slavery was a true regression, an undoing of Christianity's wholesome influence on European society. In ways, it was worse than what Christendom had abolished. And early American calls, when people began to call for abolition early on, they argued from these differences. How the practices, and they were not gentle, the damnable, unjustifiable, reprehensible practices of slavery in the United States, then the colonies, then the United States. They were not the equivalent 
of the practice described in the New Testament. That early call for abolition in the United States denied. Reading directly from their New Testament to what was being done with the Africans kidnapped, what a plundered in mass. And so without setting aside the New Testament, the call was very strong. Enslavement of the Africans by the Europeans is sinful. It must be rooted out. Now none of you are masters or slaves. Never have you met a master or slave. We are not living in a society shaped by slave owning and a slave economy. And so as we read this and seek to learn, we must be modest in our claims. We must recognize we're touching on things where we may well be unfamiliar. We most certainly are unfamiliar. Still, Jesus is ruling for salvation. The peace of Christ is being extended. And his victory did not end authority. His victory of the powers, he has restored a wholesome authority. And you, his image bearers, oh, you bear the name Christian. You are baptized like him who went down and rose again. His image bearer, you carry his authority under him. So you need to understand how faith today is directed by these commands to first century masters, slaveholders. So from this passage, I, I need to first establish two denials and one affirmation. Then I can call you to justice and fairness, as Paul does, even though you are not masters. No, you are not masters, but Jesus is your master Christ reigns as Savior in heaven. And your salvation restores wholesome authority on the earth. Listen to Paul's words. Bond servants, whatever you do, work heartily as the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Here's the first denial. In a slave society, owning slaves was not sinful, and benefiting from slave labor was not sinful. Now, I'll define justly and fairly more later, but this obvious observation comes first. A man can simultaneously own slaves and treat them justly and fairly. The Christian master who heard these words might need to repent, but that did not require setting his slaves free. And Paul speaks sternly here. The wrongdoer will be paid back. 
if owning slaves was sinful, then Paul's command should be free them. And his reasoning should be simple. If you don't free them, then expect the Lord Jesus to pay you back for the wrong you are doing. Now, I know this is controversial. I, I frankly feel embarrassed to speak so bluntly. Like other references to slavery, Paul here directs masters to rightly use their authority. Adulterers are not exhorted to just and fair infidelity. Thieves are not counseled to regulate their theft with justice and fairness. Perhaps you're shocked, but the observation is neither subtle nor complicated. The fear of God did not press masters to stop being masters, to honor Christ, to their master. They must be just and fair masters. Christian, listen. Christ reigns as Savior in heaven. Your salvation restores wholesome authority on the earth. Sin no longer rules you. The risen Jesus is your master. And wholesome authority does not reject the instruction of our master in heaven. Knowing that master, Christian masters must treat slaves justly and fairly. A wholesome authority under Christ does not reject the command of the apostle Paul. And he does not command emancipation, but a wholesome authority over slaves. God's work may shock you. God's word may confuse you. God's word may require searching and learning. God's word is wholesome, and it will make you wholesome. You cannot reject or edit God's word and expect to be wholesome. If you are wiser than Paul and Jesus, then you will evade the command to act justly and fairly. If you will have nothing to do with slavery, then you will not have to ponder what it means to act justly and fairly. You get to be moral and wiser than Paul and avoid the hard work that comes from imitating your master in heaven. Paul's words here may be embarrassing, but do not be surprised by that. The standards and authorities of your society will not tolerate Paul's words or your faith. Human authority must submit to your master in heaven. And he reigns as Savior in heaven. And your salvation restores wholesome authority on the earth. Now the second denial is this. Slavery was not tolerated by Paul because opposing this sin was too disruptive, too dangerous for the infant church. It's a common assertion made. Paul did not give slavery a temporary pass to avoid trouble strategically. Paul was not postponing the conflict until the church was better situated. The emancipation of slaves was a common affair. If Christians did it with strange ethical pronouncements about someone raised from the dead and far off wherever, 
Their ideas might be offensive. They might look like fools, but it would not be some tremendous challenge to the social order. The church was a tiny part of the larger society, more an oddity than an influence. And Paul's gospel made trouble. Paul's gospel led people to refuse participation in the sacrifices and prayers of their community. In our day, there's concern about separation of church and state. Um, in the first century, that would require a separation of worship from everything, from Harris Teeter, from your kid's soccer game, from your mother's birthday party. Pagan prayers and sacrifices were everywhere in the Colossians community. Every civic event, every family event, the pinch of incense, the public slaying of animals, the invocation of a plurality of gods, business meetings, political meetings. Slavery was not the straw that was going to break the camel's back. It's the exclusivity of Christ's titles as Lord and Savior. That was the stink that Christians kept stirring up in, in the most mundane in the most public situations. This is how they became known as the haters of men, as those with no sense of religious duty, because they would only call on the Lord Jesus and his Father and the Spirit. Repudiating slavery would have been another reason to mock Christians but it would have not brought some huge trouble into society. Now, this second denial must be underlined, or you will take Paul as a false, even pernicious example. Christians cannot disobey the Lord Jesus in order to avoid trouble with their neighbors. That should be obvious. Jesus is your master in heaven. You can't serve him by contradicting his commands on earth, even when it brings trouble crashing down on your heads. The claim that Paul is modeling prudence, not making waves until the situation isn't so difficult, that claim is cowardice and the betrayal of the Lord Jesus' fellowship, of his lordship. Sinning until the situation is safe, that is the opposite of trusting Christ. The opposite of obeying your master in heaven. To be blunt and brief for our time, you cannot pretend that homosexuality and promiscuity and transgenderism are small matters of debate and personal preference. Your actions and your words must be in keeping with knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This very common attempt to explain away Paul's acceptance of slavery is unfaithful. It is not sound reasoning. 
And it's a destructive precedent. It's the first step in explaining why the New Testament is wrong about a whole set of issues. Women's ordination, marriage, homosexuality, sex before marriage. Now the first denial is simply saying no. You didn't misunderstand what Paul said when he wrote in simple words. He didn't call the Colossian masters to disconnect themselves from slavery. The second denial is this. The fundamental point of this, this attempt to avoid the embarrassment, the fundamental attempt is wrong. You cannot seek peace following the Lord Jesus by some sort of, well, we'll get to being serious about that problem in another situation. No. The Lord Jesus reigns. He is your master. Now there's an affirmation that needs to be understood. Slavery was the result of society's brutality. Now today, none of you are masters, but the brutality of society is much the same. The prisoner, the poor, the fatherless, the addicted, our communities don't really have a remedy for life disasters. When we see disasters, we call professionals and programs which, yes, can be far better than slavery. It should be that, like the slave in a first-century Christian household, people crushed by disaster find a refuge in Christ's church. Program professionals, yes, people. People who need to be rescued because of what others did, what they did, that reduces them to, I have nothing but what others will do with me? That's slavery. The Lord Jesus reigns in heaven. And your salvation restores a wholesome authority on the earth. You haven't slavery. How will the church do this? How will acting with justice and fairness be carried out? In the first century, the Christian master held mercy, where society only had brutality. The slave was, at least officially by contract, reduced to how much does it cost to provide for him? How much can he earn? Today, you are told to be ashamed of Christian slave owners. But understand, a real slave would have quickly become thankful for a real Christian master. Christ reigns as Savior in heaven, 
and your salvation restores a wholesome authority on the earth. In both the law of Moses and the letters of Peter, kidnapping is repudiated. It's one of the crimes that Moses punished with execution. Even receiving a kidnapped person was a capital offense under Moses. Roman law was basically similar. So, slaves came from three sources. Prisoners of war, abandoned infants, or essentially bankruptcy. Slaves were people that were thrown away. People who at best were shocked to still be alive. Slaves are people who have passed through an absolute disaster, or better, more poignantly, more accurately, slaves are people who are stuck in the results of a disaster. The slaves are under a master's authority, but from the point of view of someone like the Good Samaritan, they are people in need of mercy. They are at rock bottom. They can't pick themselves up. They are vulnerable with no hope for the future. They cannot expect society to treat them justly and fairly. No. First century, that's not what society did. No. This is why our government hires people to do those things. Because our society is no less brutal. Slaves cannot expect society to treat them justly and fairly. But Christian masters are commanded to exactly that. So hear Paul's command again. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, justly and fairly are a very compact pair. To find them there needs a similar brief and two-sided clarity. Justly means acting in accordance with justice, what God requires by his law. Since a slave cannot really appeal to any authority beyond his master, you can understand why the command needs to be explicit. And you can understand why a slave might do a double take and have a relief to see that his master is under some other authority. That his master thinks, I must do as I'm told to do. Masters have preferences, moods, impulses, but justice must determine the master's behavior. The horrors associated with slavery that, we have to say, that thrive around slavery are shut out, not by good character, not by people pursuing enlightened self-interest. They are shut out, shut out by the Ten Commandments by the character of God, by the fact that the wrongdoer will be paid back. Violence, violation of marriage, theft, false and destructive representation. The Christian master commands. And because he has a master, he cannot abuse. You know, the fourth commandment, explicitly named slaves. 
that they must be given the day of rest. But justice brings all men evenly under God's law, evenly under the command of the master of masters. In the first century, it would be understood that it would be justice to allow a slave to purchase his freedom, to allow him opportunity, we would call it moonlighting, to earn on the side, and with that, to purchase his freedom. That would be considered justice. The investment involved in owning him is recouped, and the slave, he has his life as his own. The Christian master must submit to his master in heaven and keep his commands just as he expects his slaves to keep his. Now, fairly is a less obvious adverb. Treat your bondservants fairly. Um, without being too rude, one is reminded of that typical adolescent line. Just not fair. And, and it is considered um, part of maturity, I think, in our society to learn what? Life's not fair. One could easily imagine a slave saying, it just isn't fair. I could just as easily be the master. He doesn't deserve better than me. What is Paul getting at? What is Paul, what Paul is underlining is the connection between the slave and master. He's asserting that the master's prosperity should also benefit the slave. It was not a, a unique Christian idea. It was generally considered good counsel to incentivize slaves to provide some small reward when their service was particularly beneficial. The manipulative prudence is um, obvious. But Paul's words are not just good business. The Christian master has a true commonality with his slave. He knows what it's like to be dependent, asking for favors from his master in heaven. The Christian master knows that his slave's usefulness is not so much a tool that he went out and acquired as a gift that belongs to his Lord which benefits him. As the master is thankful to God for his prosperity, so he's thankful for the slave's part in it. Fairness is not equality, but it means a commonality in the demands and the product. It would be fair for a master to improve his slave's food and accommodation, dress, as the master's own wealth increased, he is benefiting. Ought they not benefit as well? Again, it would be commonly recognized. If a slave were to rescue the master's life from some accident or attack, it would be considered fair. N not required. Not a thing that must happen, but fair a sense of, of course, 
for the master rescued by the slave to grant that slave his freedom. Fairness is a kind of proportionality. Where the slave receives benefit from good service, although the service is strictly speaking, yes, under compulsion. This commonality of the master-slave relationship is barely available for us. The employer-employee relation is similar, but the dependence of the one and the responsibility of the other are drastically smaller. Teachers and students can be similar. Military, paramilitary situations can be similar. I, I think about my daughter. She just finished her one-year probation as a firefighter. She was in a situation, similarity, but all of these, they lack the lowliness of the slave, the kind of gathered up pile of rubble that is no starting place but where you are. The authority wielded in these situations can be merciful in only minor ways. One can say the abolition of slavery has this one drawback. Strangers in need of life-size mercy can hardly have commonality with any of us. We aren't near enough to uphold justice for them, and we aren't involved enough for our prosperity to both benefit from them and bless them. Fairness, now more a matter of charity than commonality. And you need to puzzle on this. How do we obtain this sort of personal place in the lives around us which are overtaken by disaster? I do not know. How can you, how can your life restore wholesome authority on the earth? Much has changed. Slavery is no longer an institution. Christianity has transformed the assumed morality of civilization even if that morality is turning into a self-righteous claim to be better than God. But Christ still is your master. He still is overruling sin and rebellion. And Paul's teaching puts the same calling in your lap. Christ reigns as Savior in heaven. And your salvation restores wholesome authority on the earth. Now, this sermon has urged you into an embarrassing disagreement with decent people. But I would submit to you, Paul does speak very simply. You're not a master. You must aspire to be like a just master and a fair master, you must see here that you have a master in heaven, so wherever you would have this authority, you need to be like the slave master for whom Paul would give praise to the living God. It's embarrassing. How do you translate? being a just and fair master into our society. I'm going to pick up on that word, 
translate. You start with the word of God. Here we have it. Be criticized, scoffed, read this out loud and wrong place. You certainly could stir up contempt. Start with the word of God. So you start with the one who is the word, the word Jesus. You start by knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Listen, this is not a call to certain rules. This is not a call to good people are just, good people are fair. You start by knowing that you also have a master in heaven, the Lord Jesus. And he has forgiven your sin. He has claimed you for himself. He will not ignore how the disaster of your sin, of your life, entangles you and undermines you. In his authority, he will champion justice for you. You are right to plead with him for what you need and what is unjustly denied to you. You are right to rely on his support when others exploit you. In his authority, the Lord Jesus has also taken a real commonality with you. His glory brings glory into your life. His victory brings victory to your life. He has conquered sin. You are no longer ruled by sin. He is bringing truth and love and fidelity on the earth. His business is your business. Enjoying his gifts and spreading his gifts. This is the life of faith. Christian here, Christ reigns as Savior in heaven and your salvation restores wholesome authority on the earth. Pray with me. Father, I ask that you would make us wise that you would give us understanding that your word would indeed rule us and make us like your son. That it would make us marvel at him, benefit from him, be like him, and make him known and enjoyed beyond us. We pray in his name.